Hello and welcome to the JCBC Podcast. My name is Sean, and I'm so grateful that you found our podcast. Listen, the JCBC Podcast is a collection of several sermons that have been preached over the years at Johns Creek Baptist Church. I pray that as you find these sermons and you listen to them, they would meet you where you are in your journey. And I trust that God will do something in these words to lift up your head, if only for a little while. So go ahead and subscribe to us and follow along. Friends, if you'll join me uh, with turning in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 8. 2 Corinthians 8 will be the subject of our study today. It will be the text that we will uh, move toward and, and, and will guide our, our thoughts and our, um, our dialogue. But I will tell you this, we're not going to read it right now. I want you to turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and just kind of put a marker there. Uh, we will get there. But we're going to get there in the midst of the sermon. I'm going to unpack a few thoughts ahead of time. And then, now listen, when we get there, we're going to camp out. I mean, we're going to break it down. We're going to live inside the text. We're going to make applesauce out of this text, okay? But, but for now, I want to make sure that, um, that we set up the text and our understanding appropriately. So, as a way of intro, remember that today is the fifth, the fifth in a six-part conversation that we're having about being the body of Christ. And what has driven our conversation up till now, what has driven this, this, the momentum of this sermon series has been one central thought, one truth that has driven all of it. And it is this, that the church is intended to be the visible presence of the risen Christ in this world. In fact, if the world is to know that he is risen, risen indeed, if they are to know that there is a love in God that is more powerful than even the grave and the sting of death itself, the only way the world will know, the only way they will believe it and know that it's more than just words is if they see it evidenced in the way we live. So the way that we live with one another, the way that we speak to one another, the, the, the words that we choose when we talk and, and when we, when we uh, uh, post and when we tweet and how we react to one another in the midst of this strange period of time in which we find ourselves, the way we treat one another, the way we love an enemy, the way we welcome an outcast or stranger, the way we give food and drink to the hungry and the thirsty, the way we visit the sick and afflicted. These are the evidences that he is alive. And the only way the world will know that he is risen, risen indeed, is if they see the evidence of his aliveness in the way that we love. That's what's been driving us this whole time. And so over these five weeks, we've been talking about if, it, if that's what it means to be the body, to literally, physically be the body of Jesus in this world today, then there are some things that we must do and always keep on doing to strengthen our body, his body. And one of those attempts, as you know now, is we're in the midst of this show up, step up campaign where we're trying to talk about ways that we strengthen the body of Christ here on earth by showing up and stepping up, by physically gathering with one another, by generously giving so that the ministries of the church continue to grow and thrive and expand. But today, I, I got to say, if we're going to start this conversation today focused 
on what it means to strengthen the body through our financial giving. And this is that sermon, right? This is that sermon. And I got to tell you, before I preach this sermon, I, I, I want to speak to those for whom this is your first visit here. I want to speak to those for whom maybe this is your first visit to a worship service in your life. I mean, it's possible that you, you, after many years of being asked to come, hey, come to my church. You're going to love it. Come to my church. We're great. Come to our church because we love each other and there's some great people there. You finally relented and said, okay, I'll come. And we're talking about money. Are you kidding me? I want to speak to you. And I want you to hear the first line, the first line of my sermon. You ready? God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. The Lord our God is the Lord our God and has no need of anything from you but desires more than anything for you to know him and be loved by him and experience the richness of life that we call faith. But God does not need your money. In fact, the scriptures echo with this truth all throughout the ancient scriptures. From, from Psalm, we hear it in Psalm 50, Hear, my people, and I will speak. This is the Lord speaking. I am God. I, you're God. Not for sacrifices do I rebuke you. Your, your burnt offerings are continually before me, your offerings. Your, I will not accept a bull from your house or goats from your folds. In, in other words, I'm not interested in the offerings only, for every wild animal of the forest is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills, they're, they're mine. I know all the birds of the air and all that moves in the field. It's, it's mine. If I were hungry, I wouldn't tell you. For the world and all that is in it is mine. Another great text from the Psalter, from Psalm 24, we hear these words, similar kind of words, really. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and they that dwell therein. In other words, God doesn't need your money. So why are we asking ourselves to step up, show up, to continue to, to increase what we give generously to the Lord? Well, it's not because God's broke and that God needs a helping hand. And oh my gosh, if we don't, then God is going to, poor God, no. The reason that we call on ourselves to grow in generosity, in giving to the Lord, well, the reason for it is so much better than that. It's so much more powerful than that. The reason that you and I call upon ourselves to give and keep giving and keep growing in generosity is because when we give, we image God. When we give, when we are generous and we relinquish and we give of ourselves and we pour out our life, we image God. The very first and most evident place that we see this truth is that in, in the character of God himself, at the very core, at the very core of the character of God is a radical, extravagant, sacrificial generosity. Generosity is from God because God is generous. 
At the core of the very character of God is generosity. And the place where we see that most clearly and maybe first is in the created order all around us. Creation itself, over the process of billions of years, is an evidence of God continually over long periods of time pouring out God's creative love and generosity in that which he loves. Creation is an expression of God's generosity to the created order. I mean, before anything was created, there was God. And before anything as yet was created, when it, as anything was... Let me back up and do that again. <laughs> before anything was created by God, God existed. And God existed with God. We, we talk about it in terms of Trinitarian language, Father, Son, Spirit. Do you know that our sisters and brothers in the Eastern Orthodox tradition refer to the Trinity in trying to understand the mystery of the Trinity, three in one? They, they describe the Trinity with this word that we've talked about before, perichoresis. Do you know what perichoresis is? Perichoresis is a word that literally means peri, which means around, and choresis from choreography, which means to dance. It's to dance in the round. In, in other words, a circle dance. And one of the primary images in the Eastern Orthodox tradition of understanding God and the character of God in Trinity, in union with one another, is that before anything existed, God existed in a perfect and holy communion with God, Father, Son, Spirit, dancing in perfect harmony and union and grace and sharing and beauty. And when God decided to create, it's as if God's circle dance was opened up and God pours out of God's own dance an invitation to join God in the dance. That's generous. And just as an aside, not the main point of the sermon, but I just want you to know, when you make room in the rhythm of your life dance for somebody else, you're acting like God. You're imaging God. In the character of God is a radical generosity, the likes of which we cannot possibly completely fathom. But do you know how close we get? The closest we get, the most supreme demonstration of God's generosity is in the person of Jesus Christ. In the person of Jesus Christ, we see the generosity of God on display with flesh and bone. It's easy to forget we have constructed great denominations and complex theologies based on the sacrifice of Christ and have forgotten to talk about Christ as the generosity of God. Isn't it the first verse that you and I learn as children? For God so loved the world that God gave that God gave his son, that whosoever believes in him should, should not perish but have 
everlasting life. But God so loved that, that he gave out of his generous godhood. And Jesus becomes the most visible demonstration of what it looks like to pour out your life for another. Don't forget what Romans says about the generosity of God. Romans puts it this way. But God proves God's love for us in this, that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And in the passage that we're about to read in just a few moments, there is this one verse that I'm going to pull ahead and look at right now. It's 2 Corinthians 8, and listen to what verse 5 says. For you know the generous act of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty you might become rich. The character of God is to pour out generous love upon us. But why? Why? Is it so that you and I receive generosity and then keep it in our pockets? Is it so that we receive the grace of God and then keep it to ourselves? No. The answer is better than that. We receive the grace of God and the generous love of God, the generosity of God. It comes to us so that it may be made visible through us in the way that we share it with the rest of the world. God's love comes to us, but it's meant to move through us to a world in need. This is why all throughout the New Testament we are commanded, we are called to a high calling of showing what this looks like in the way that we live. So Ephesians puts it this way. It's very, very clear. Therefore, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God as beloved children and and live in love. And watch this. As Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Do you know that every time that you and I give, whether big or small, we have the capacity to create a fragrant offering that is pleasing to the Lord. Not because of what's, what's on the check or what's in the expression or what's in the gift, but rather because in the very act of doing it, we are demonstrating the very reflection of the character of God on display once again. When we give, we image God. This is why James says, listen, don't don't worry about trying to come up with your own generosity. Don't worry about having to create giving. Giving is something that has come to you. Therefore, you you don't have to muster it. You just have to access it. You don't have to muster generosity. You don't have to make it up or create it. You just have to access it and release it. Because you have been poured over. And what we must do is learn to relinquish it and let it flow through. This is what James said it the way James said it. Listen to what he said. Every, every generous act of giving with every perfect gift is from above. Coming down from the Father of lights. Do you see that beautiful image? The beautiful image is that we don't have to make this up. This comes from a source beyond us. That sharing and generosity and giving comes to us in order to move through us. And when we do, we image God. We image God. 
Nowhere is that more true than the text that I want us to read this morning. Nowhere is that more true than right here. Now, as we grow in our identity as the body of Christ, we grow in generosity. So the more we walk with Christ, the more we become generous. You can't walk with a generous one and not become more generous yourself. How does that work? Well, as you are walking with Christ, if you're nurturing that interior relationship that you have with Christ every day, and your walk begins in the morning with him and it ends at night with him, if you're walking and doing life with him, there is some transformation that is happening in you. And that transformation means that you see life differently. You see life through a different lens than you used to see. And as you walk with Christ, suddenly your eyes are open to see and recognize the thousand graces that sustain your life day by day. And most of the time we can remain blind to those graces because we're so darn busy. We're so occupied. We just miss them. They blow right by us. But there have been a thousand graces that got you sitting into the pew where you are this morning. And when you walk with Christ, Christ opens your eyes to see them. Why? Because he points them out along the way. Is this what he meant when he talked about the eye? In Matthew's gospel, he talked about the eye. This is what he said. He said, the eye is the lamp to the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. It, it, the, the ancient Jews had an idea that your eye, you either have a healthy eye or an evil eye. And what they mean is if you have an evil eye, it means your perspective is out of whack. If you have an evil eye, it means that you don't see the big picture. You don't see the grace that has sustained you. But if you have a healthy eye, it means you, you're able to see the big picture of your life and recognize that every breath you breathe and every beat of the heart in your chest is a gift from the Father above. And when that eye is, is, is healthy, well, your whole life is full of light. Because here's what happens, y'all. The more you walk with the generous one, the more he points out how much grace it has taken to keep you alive. And the more in tune you are with how much grace it has taken to keep you alive, there's a confidence that comes with that. And that confidence creates a kind of contentment in your life to where if you recognize, if you're walking with Christ and there's this confidence that comes because, my gosh, look how he has provided for me here And look where he rescued me there. And look how he pulled me out of the mud there. And how he he constantly is giving everything that I pot. So really, everything I have is, it's enough. What I have is enough. And we become content. Because we're not fixed on the one thing that we may not yet have. Or the one thing that we're still missing. Instead, he casts our eye upon the thousand things that we have, all of which are grace. And in the midst of seeing, we're able to become generous because we recognize we don't need it all. We don't need it all. All we need is him. So the more we walk with him, 
the more we are able to become generous because he points out all the ways that he will never stop providing. And that frees us to relinquish some of the grace we've received so that others may benefit from it. And nowhere is this more beautifully demonstrated than in this text. You ready for it? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, here's the backdrop. Paul and Titus, well, they're, they're on a mission. The church in Jerusalem was the first church, and they've run into some trouble. I'm talking about the original church, like first Baptist church of the world, you know. Not really Baptist, in case you keep following along. But the first church of the world, Jerusalem. And they're the mothership. They're the, the mother church that launched an explosion of growth throughout the Mediterranean region, throughout the Middle East. And Paul is now visiting many of the churches all around the region, making his visits, his missionary travels, and so forth. But word has come to him that the Jerusalem church is struggling they're under persecution, and they're broke. They're under persecution, and they're broke. And they're unable to sustain the very ministries that have given life to the church. This was the church that sprung all the other churches, and now this one was in jeopardy. And so Paul takes this message around these other churches, and with his message, he says, look, I'm taking an offering for them. Anything you can do to help the mother church, that's my language, not his. Anything you do to help the saints in Jerusalem will be greatly appreciated. He goes to the churches of Macedonia, and he experiences something that blows his mind, a generosity the likes of which he has never seen in his life. So I want us to to pick up this because he goes on past Macedonia and he's telling the other churches about the churches in Macedonia who were so generous it was ridiculous. Listen to the, the language. 2 Corinthians 8 verse 1. We want you to know, brothers and sisters, about the grace of God that has been granted to the churches of Macedonia for, for during a severe ordeal of affliction, their abundant joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. All right, go back one slide, Gene. Check out that phrase. Their abundant joy and their extreme poverty. And in case any of us were wondering, I just want to point out right here in sacred scripture, there is a clear clarion call to remember that your joy is not dependent upon what you have. In fact, your joy is completely separate from what you have. And the pursuit of seeking joy in what you have is not only duplicity, it is downright idolatrous. Because these forebearers in the faith, these mothers and fathers of the faith who started this whole movement a long, uh, long time ago, in their absolute suffering and affliction, they still had joy. For an abundance of, abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed. And guess what it resulted in? Next slide, in a wealth of generosity on their part. For as I can testify, they voluntarily gave according to their means, and even beyond their means, begging us earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints, for the privilege of sharing in this offering. i got to tell you that it is the dream of every pastor 
that when we enter into commitment campaign season, I get to the church and the parking lot's full because please let us pledge. We're begging. Well, pledge season's over. No, please. We didn't get to turn our card in. We haven't made our commitments for the new year. They begged earnestly for the privilege of sharing in this ministry to the saints. And this, not merely as we expected, they gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us so that we might urge Titus that as he already made, uh, uh, as he already made a beginning so he should also complete this generous undertaking among you. The most powerful line in that whole passage that we just read is the one that comes from verse 5. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us. Brothers and sisters, I want to tell you as we're talking about giving and generosity and your tithing and your offering, I want you to know this. You must first give to your Lord yourself. And then the generosity comes. If you have not given your life first to the Lord, the generosity will mean nothing. The Lord is interested in not your pocketbook, but you. Interested in you. But when we give our lives, as the Macedonian Christians have demonstrated, when we have yielded our lives to him and said, I am yours, everything I am and everything I've got, then You can't stop the generosity because it comes as a natural expression of who we are as the body of Christ. Those are the Macedonian Christians. Now, as we look into our own lives as an example of how to follow their lead, it's important to remember where you are in your sermon. (laughs) Yeah, so the flip side. The beauty is this. The beauty is this. Beloved brothers and sisters, when we give ourselves to the Lord, there will be an abundance of generosity that flows. And every time you give something in the offering, I want you to know what's happening. I don't want it to be lost on you. Every time you stroke a check, every time you fold a bill, every time you jingle some change, every time you click submit, online for recurring generosity in whatever mechanism or modality you choose to use to give your gift to the Lord. You need to know that you're doing more than just paying for stuff. Every dime, that you, every penny that you give is more than just expanding our ministries, ministries and connections and formations and mobilization and worship. It's more than just Expanding ministry to the nursery and children and youth and senior adults and music and missions. All that is true and all that is needed, yes. But the thing that's really happening, the thing behind the thing when you give, is you are imaging the character of God and you are being the body of Christ. Now, there is a flip side. The flip side is this. <laughs> yeah, if you, are, 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 if you give yourself to Christ, you will give because that's just what we do. We, that, that is how we interpret our faith. But if you are not giving, I just want to speak in love and Christian love to you as your pastor. And I'm not talking about tipping. We tip, you know, see what I got today. There we go. That's t- that, that, 
I'm not talking about tipping. If you're not choosing to make a part of your rhythm the consistent and steady sacrificial gift of your income to the Lord, then the trouble is it's not just that your your spiritual life is not yet complete. It's not just that there is one Christ-like activity that's not present in your life, but it's worse than that. It means that the intimate, growing relationship that causes that kind of generosity is called into question because you can't walk with him and not become more generous. You can't walk with Christ and continue to think that this life is your own. So the more we walk with him, the more generous we become. And I want to talk to those who maybe find yourself stuck today because we find ourselves stuck in a variety of ways. Some of us have never been taught to give. Uh, Some of us grew up giving for a long period of time. Some of us may have given for a while, and then the thing happened, and it fell apart, and you stopped giving. But now, you you, you say to yourself, gosh, if I start giving now, it won't be nearly what I used to give, and so I'm just going to wait till things get together, till I can figure some things out, and we stay stuck. I want to give you some encouragement today about how to get unstuck by taking a step, one step. The first step in taking a step is to start where you are. To start where you are. We often say that Jesus meets you where you are, but loves you too much to leave you there. So start where you are and ask yourself, what have I been doing to give generously of what I have to the Lord? You start where you are. We get stuck for so many reasons, and and yet I love what Richard Rohr said about the Christian life. He said, sometimes we talk ourselves out of moving forward for a variety of reasons, but he says, look, we do not think ourselves into new ways of living. We live ourselves into new ways of thinking. Can you sit with that for just a minute? We don't think our way into new ways of living. That's too cerebral. No, no, no. In the Christian tradition, we live our way into new ways of thinking. Sometimes the action happens and then we catch up with how we think about it. I was given the gift this week. It was my birthday. Wednesday was my birthday. And I was given the extraordinary gift of test driving uh, Harold Hyde's vintage Volkswagen Bug. You've seen this beauty. I mean, it is a 1968 68 Volkswagen Beetle. Beautiful, beautiful. And so he brought the keys and take a drive. As I'm driving this beautiful vintage car, the steering wheel reminds me of the cars that I learned how to drive on when I was 15 and 16. And many of you learned to drive on them too, the cars that had no power steering. Do you know what I learned in my big jalopy van that my dad used to drive? And, um, the old 68 uh, Camaro my family used to drive too, that the power steering that wasn't in that car was a gift. You know why? In order to turn, you remember this, you can't just from a parked position turn. You got to kind of start moving a little bit and you turn as you move, making it easier to turn the wheel. Am I right? Sometimes before things really turn around, you got to get moving. The same goes with becoming more generous 
You start where you are. Just start. Second step is talk to God about it. To be clear with God, Lord, this is where I am and you know what I've gone through and you know the reasons that I am where I am today, but I want to image you in the way that I share my life with others. I want to image you with how generous I am. So show me what to do. I yield myself to your instruction and listen to him. Step three, it may be a big one. Eliminate excuses. Eliminate excuses. How easy it becomes. Oh, did you bring the checkbook? No, forgot it. Left the check back. We'll catch up next week. Next week, do we catch up? Mm, maybe. We go on vacation. We come back from vacation. Oh, did you send the check in? No, I didn't send it. No, okay. There are easy ways to eliminate some excuses. Online giving is a great way to make a consistent and steady recurring generous gift without having to, to worry about who's got the checkbook and did we leave it before we went to the beach and so forth. But there's another issue in eliminating excuses. And right now I just want to talk to my generation and younger, Gen X and millennials. We are incredibly generous in a particular way. And the studies that, that, that tell us, people who study us tell us, that Gen X and millennials are incredibly generous in emotional causes. Generous toward emotional causes. In other words, if I really believe in the thing, then I'll give to it. If, I, if I'm really excited about a particular cause, then I'll give to it. What we can learn from the generation above us and the generation above that is that you can't build and grow churches on emotional giving. The, the, the truth is, you can't build and grow a church on the warm and fuzzies. It's great to give toward the warm and fuzzies. But there is a consistency that's needed. And so as we receive consistently the grace of God every day of our lives, we consistently give. And so I want to challenge my generation and younger to get into a rhythm that takes emotion out of our giving so that it's steady and consistent and reliable. Last step. So we start where you are. You talk to God about it. You eliminate the excuses. And finally, pledge. You pledge. Now, I'll be honest with you, my entire life, we, I have not always pledged. When Laura and I first got married, that hasn't been part of our giving pattern, just to pledge it at a time. In recent years, I cannot speak highly enough. I cannot tell you the importance of the pledge. Because what you do as a family is you sit down together and you look at your calendar and you look at your checkbook, the two places that govern most of our family decisions, and we say, what do we decide? Where do we take a stand? And to take a stand as a family, we will pledge that by God's grace and with God's help next year, here is what we think we may be able to give to the Lord. And we write it down. Because when you write it down and you pledge or you click submit, you're entering into a covenant with hundreds of others who are saying the very same thing, who are saying, by God's grace, I will attempt to, to the best of my ability to give sacrificially, and this is what I think it looks like, but I'm writing it down so that I'm not drawn to the emotional circus of stepping in and out of my commitment. I'm writing it down and I'm turning it in because I'm in, I am in, and by God's help, we get there together. Now that's what I wanted to give you today. A simple, practical, 
uh, reminder of what it takes to live out this imaging of God, this reflecting of God's image, to start where you are, talk to God about it, eliminate the excuses and pledge. But there is one last thing I'll say. There is absolutely no reason, zero reason, that everybody who is a member of this congregation shouldn't pledge. There, every single member of Johns Creek Baptist ought to take seriously the call to turn in some pledge that says, I want the generosity of God to flow not just to me, but through me, and here's what I think it looks like next year. Absolutely no reason why we all can't participate. But here's what I want you to hear last. If you've not given yourself to Jesus Christ, if you've not entered into a covenant relationship with him, if you've never come to a place where you recognize that you cannot be the Lord of your own life, but you must yield your life before, if you've never received him as the Lord and Savior of your life, then I want you to keep your pledge card. <laughs> I want you to hold on to your, your, your giving, and I want you to meet somebody today at this altar, to not wait another moment, to come before him and say, Lord, I want what they're talking about here. I want an intimate relationship with you and, and I want you to forgive me of my sins and cleanse me of all of my unrighteousness and I want to be guided in the ways of Jesus. So I yield my life before you and I ask you to show me what my next step is. And we will pray with you and we will celebrate the new thing that God is up to in you. If you come today, let's bow together. Good and loving God, we thank you for this day, for this day of worship, this day of study, a time in which um, we hear you calling us up to and into our truest identity as, as the body of Christ. And we recognize that when you seek to call us as members of the body, as parts of the body, you don't want part of us. You want everything. And I pray today you would empower and encourage somebody here to yield the last holdout of their life to you and show them what your grace looks like today. In the name of Christ our Lord we pray, amen.